I think it's safe to say it's been a while since we've had an eerie otter on the program. So great to welcome Connor Crisp to the OHL podcast. Uh, it feels like just yesterday you were still traveling through this league with us, Connor. It's great to see you and thanks for making the time. Yeah, I appreciate it, Mike. I'm uh, looking forward to, to having a chat with you. You know, you look back on your hockey career and when you started out, even pre-Ontario Hockey League and you're playing with the York Simcoe Express, it's like winning was all you ever did the game did it feel easy to you as you grew up yeah it's, it's funny you say that because I you know I work with a lot of minor hockey players now and I look back at my minor hockey career and I say you know when I tell teams we won five OMHAs and OHFs and this and that they're like dumbfound they're like you know what kind of team did you guys have but um, yeah it feels like yesterday those were the best times of my of my career uh, we had a, a close-knit group of guys that were together for a long period of time and uh, we were successful and success is, uh, you know, it's fun to win. So uh, certainly miss those days. What was it that first got you into the game? Young boy from Alliston, Ontario, small town, not much else to do in the winter, maybe? Um, yeah, you know what? I think similar answer to to probably a lot of young hockey players, guys and girls, is uh, just my parents got me mm-hmm. into it. Um, I think my, da- my dad was a hockey player growing up and had a lot of interest and loved the game and um, ultimately introduced me uh, as a kid and fell in love right away and it, it kind of grew from there. What did you know about the Erie Otters when they called your name in the second round of that OHL draft? I didn't know a thing about the Erie Otters. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, to be honest, Mike, I started learning about the OHL period in in minor midget. So I was just very carefree played the game, loved the game, you know, happened to have some skill and was fortunate enough to be drafted. But I kind of learned the junior ranks and the NCAA routes and the OHL OHL routes when I was when I was a minor midget. So I didn't know a lot about any team. Uh, I was just grateful and fortunate to be to be recognized at a young age and to have been drafted to to an organization that, you know, has had success and was thriving and we had our ups and downs. But um, I was it was a good landing spot for sure. Was it overwhelming in any way for you, Connor, that, you know, you're a 15-year-old kid, obviously you're putting up some decent numbers, you're at an OHL Cup, I mean, it gets you some attention, but what's that like as a 15-year-old? Extremely overwhelming. Um, you know, what, what I think a lot of people overlook is that we're still kids at that age. You know, some people think, you know, you're teenagers. No, I, I was a child at 15 years old. I look back at my maturity level and what I was going through at that time, Um you know, and I leaned on a lot of guys too. a lot of guys who were playing in the league when I first got drafted. I was so homesick. I was, there was a lot of times that I was ready just to pack it up and go home. And I remember actually talking to a former Ranger, um, Ryan Murphy, when he was there and just trying to say, how did you, you know, get accustomed to the game and being away from home and blah, blah, blah. And he had kind of told me the same thing. He was, you know, he was homesick and um, he was vulnerable and telling me a lot of things he went through. And I, kind of brushed it off until I was actually in that situation. Um, and, you know, being five hours away from your family for the first time in your life, living with somebody you've never met before, um, it's very emotional. It's very emotional, especially on the flip side, the hockey side, going as a rookie, not maybe getting the ice time that you got, you know, five months prior when you're a first-line guy, getting 60 goals, power play, penalty kill. Now you're you're starting from square one again. So not only are you homesick, but you're also trying to fit in with a group of new guys and, you know, you're not always getting that that ability to to contribute in ways you want to be able to bond with those guys. So, yeah, it was, it was certainly overwhelming and, and emotional in a lot of different ways. I think you make such a great point when you remind us that 
you're still kids. I mean, look, when you get to be my age, even the players that are overagers in the Ontario Hockey League, I refer to as kids all the time. But we forget yeah. 15, 16 years old. And not only, you know, five hours away is one thing. You're with the Erie Otter, so you're in a different country now all of a sudden big as time. a young man yeah big time i know it's and every time we cross that border i knew we were coming back into canada got you know some people think that's funny but i'm like I, there's always a feeling that this was home um you know and i'm sure a lot of people have traveled it's 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 different in the states right things are run different it's a different feel different vibe um yeah it's it's i look back at it all the time and i think you know i was just this young boy who was trying to be you know, trying to get to the next level the best way I could, trying to manage through the side of hockey and a new school and new friends and new this. And it's just, it's very different. Um, you know, and I think people see us on the ice as athletes and professional hockey players, but, you know, at the end of the day, we get off the ice and we drive a car home and we get into a bed and we do the same routine as, you know, everybody else does. So it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was emotional for sure, but it was, I certainly grew up fast. It made me the guy I am today. It matured me very quick. And I have a lot of, a lot of good things to say about leaving home at a young age like that. What do you remember of that, those early OHL experiences, either in that first camp or, you know, any sort of welcome to the OHL moment during that first game? Yeah. You know what, things that stick out to me are just wanting to get through the camp, right? So my first training camp, um, again, I was a big guy. I was 6'2". I was 220 pounds. And when I get there and there's guys with full beards and, you know, look like grown men, I'm like, oh, my God, this is, you know, this is the real deal. Um, so a lot of it was was nerves and just wanting me to get through the camp healthy and unscathed and, you know, to earn a spot on the team. But, you know, also, again, a lot of a lot of stresses, right? Like it's, it's not an easy process to to jump into a training camp with 50 guys who are all competing for the same thing at 15 years old, 16 years old. Um, but it was, you know, I, I say stuff like that, how emotional it gets and the stresses and stuff. When you get on the ice, you know, your role, right. You know how to play hockey. We've been doing it a long time. So it was very comforting to finally get on the ice and put the stresses of looking at lines and off ice training and numbers and competing aside and just kind of get on the ice and do, do what you know and love. You had to, though, in your career, transform yourself as a player to yeah, some degree, time. right? Because, yeah, you were putting up big points in midget before you went to the O. You had real nice numbers, obviously gets you noticed by the Montreal Canadiens and, and other teams for sure. But as you matured in the game, you, you had to really start paying more attention to it, a checking role. And, and the points may not have been as important to you. Yeah, yeah, it was, again something that you have to learn right and i tell guys that i work with now the quicker you can establish a role in the game the more success the quicker you're going to be successful right I, I say to guys now the game has changed so much since i played in the ohl um everybody can score goals everybody's small everybody's big they're fast they shoot they stick handle everybody's got a great skill set but you have to find something now that separates you from the pack right find a niche be a good penalty killer finish your hits um, you know, find something that you can differentiate yourself. And for me, that was being physical. Um, I used my size and I remember I had a fight against Justin Kia, my first fight in the OHL in Erie. Um, and it was a great fight. And I remember Robbie Vittor called me up to his office after the game and just saying, you know, that's something you're going to have to do a little bit more if you want to be successful. And I tell that story to a lot of people and they say, well, how'd you react to that? You know, you're being told to fight. I was like, I was never told to fight. He told me if I wanted to be successful, 
you know, this is something I had to do. So he was helping me out. And I think at that point I understood that's the route I had to go. Um, and again, not by any means was that him tapping me on the shoulder saying, go fight. This was me, you know, judging the pace of the game. Do we need a, an energy lift? Are we down? You know, you pick your spots when you do stuff like that, but um, you know, I'm grateful that he brought that up. I think I was successful. I thrived. I loved to, to be physical. Um, and with being a physical hockey player comes fighting. At least it did. Not anymore. It doesn't. Obviously, the game's changed quite a bit. Um, but it was it was tough to to find that role from being such a, a skilled guy in minor hockey. Right. It was tough to make that transition without a little help from the outside. Well, it's interesting that we move in this direction here in the conversation, because I, I heard you say in another interview, Connor, that you actually enjoyed fighting it was to some degrees better than scoring a goal for you at times yeah I and again the the way my career ended was was kind of on that spectrum of, of fighting and I get that asked a lot I loved fighting I you know what I just think it you have in your hands you know for 10 seconds 60 seconds whatever it is um the the ability to control the pace of the game you know what I mean you can you can be down three goals and you can have a good fight. Not saying you got to beat the other guy up, but you have a good fight, long lasting. Everybody's engaged in the building. It's something that your teammates always appreciate. Um, you know, when you, you look at, uh, you look at games now, there was a fight in the Winnipeg series against Vegas. I forget who it was, but they showed a really cool camera angle of when they dropped the gloves. It was a whiteout in Winnipeg, how the crowd stood up and it just gave me goosebumps. And I, you know, fighting is leaving the game yes but when i watch stuff like that and know that i brought a crowd to their feet for for 60 seconds in a fight it uh it was it was very satisfying you know and to sit in the box and have people banging on the glass and when you leave the box you know your teammates and everybody stands up and claps and bangs the boards there's a there's a big appreciation factor to it and uh yeah i mean i'd be lying if i said i didn't miss squaring up with somebody at center ice fighting is leaving the game but the debate certainly has not how do you feel about where the game's at in terms of that physicality these days i you know if i'm being honest i'm not as big of a fan of the game now as i was when i played um i just think there's a place for physicality there's a place for fighting you know a lot of people complain about in the nhl especially big clean hit open ice hit somebody comes in and fights you know what that's what I did when I played too. And the guy who made the big hit was always willing. He always understood that if you're going to make a hit like that, you're going to have to pony up and answer the bell. Um, I think it controls the game really well to have that physicality. Um, there's purpose for your players on the fourth, you know, third and fourth line where now it seems like guys are just being hidden, right? You you got a small skill forward who maybe a 16 year old um, who's just kind of in the weeds on the fourth line doesn't necessarily have a role where for me, when I was 16, I knew that if I went out there and I was physical and I could fight, that was a way for me to contribute. Right. So it introduces a lot of confidence levels too. If you're just sitting there getting one or two shifts a game and you know, you're not contributing when, when the time comes, your confidence is so low that when the puck touches your stick, you want nothing to do with it. Right. So I think it's a good way to get, to get guys involved is say, listen, this is going to be your role this year. You're going to get opportunities to, elevate your game and contribute in different ways but we're going to start here so yeah I think I like to see physical hockey and I you know I think people are lying if they say they don't like the same thing like I said when there's a fight that happens everybody's on their feet when there's a big hit everybody goes nuts so I don't know it's it's an interesting topic it'll forever be discussed but I would you know I would love to see 
I make this, I make this example all the time. I think the most valuable player in the NHL right now is Tom Wilson. Um, I would take him on my team in a heartbeat. The guy can score, he can pass, he can be physical, but he's feared on the ice. You know, that's why he plays with top guys. He gets on the ice and, you know, guys look down the other end and say, Hey, you know, Tom's on the ice, keep our head up. So now all of a sudden you're not going to have your puck on your stick for five seconds. It's going to maybe be two seconds. Cause you know, if you're holding on to it too long, you're going to have to answer the bell to Tom Wilson coming down the trolley track. So, you know, there's, again, it'll be something that'll be argued for a very long time, but I certainly think that for players coming up now, if they can find that niche and bring physicality to the game, they're only going to stand out in a good way. You mentioned Robbie Fatorik earlier, who was your coach when you started in Erie, and the managing partner with that team was none other than the legendary Sherry Basson. How involved was he? Did you cross paths much? A lot. Yeah, <laughs> Sherry was um, certainly an interesting guy. He was uh, he was involved. He was always around. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's different in every in every organization, right? Some guys say we never see the GM, the owner. Sometimes we always see it. We always see Bass. He was always around. He was always joking with the guys. Um, but he's obviously seen a lot. He's been around the game a long time. So I look back to with even with Robbie Fatorik, I wish I was... 25 when he coached me because I took their intelligence and their knowledge of the game for granted. And I regret that to this day. Um, Robbie would have stayed on the ice with guys for 12 hours if they wanted to. Right. And that's when you're 16 years old, you're like, I want to get on and get off. I was at school all day. I'm tired. I don't have the, you know what I mean? So they're definitely both uh, two guys that I, I appreciated having in my corner more now than maybe I did when I was a kid. Did Robbie wear sweaters even to practice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the old sweater topic. Yeah, yeah, I know. No, he had it zipped up tight. So you know what? He very well could have. He Might have been, right? right? up tight. <laughs> yeah. that, that first year in Erie, uh, knocked out in the first round, but went seven games versus the Spitz, if I've got my math right in that yep. one. Uh, what was the playoff experience like for you? Um, for me... It was, it was a learning experience. Um, again, we had, I was a 94, so we had our overage year was 90s, 1990 born. Um, so we had a lot of 91s, a lot of fourth year guys that we were putting together a strong team. So as a 16 year old, I didn't see a ton of ice time, especially when it came to playoffs. It was kind of, you know, the coaches, Robbie had made a point in calling us into the office and kind of saying, hey, listen, I want you guys to learn because you're the next generation, whatever it may be. Um, but to see the intensity ramp up in a playoff game, uh, it was it was pretty special, especially against the Spitz team who had, you know, a lot of great talent. Zach Cassie and Ryan Ellis, like some big name guys to watch these guys compete and elevate their game and in game seven. And if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure we were up three one late in the third and ended up losing. Um, I think Ryan Ellis had two goals in 30 seconds or something crazy like that. But it was uh it was, it was certainly a benefit for me to get that experience in my first year. That arena in, in Erie, I think it was still the Tulio when you were there, if I've got yes. that right too. But yeah. I mean, that place, like the glass bangers that would be down there hammering away, it can be a pretty wild place to be for a home rink. Big time. Yeah, yeah, big time. So my last year there, they were starting the renovation. So we would walk in and they had a, a, a green tarp covering half the building because there was no wall. So we would come in and have dead birds and bugs and you name it all over the ice, frozen on the ice. It was it was very interesting. But yeah, when it came to 
to the uh, the games, we got people from all over the place, right? There's a lot of different townships in Erie that that supported us. Um, a lot of colleges, a lot of high schools. So we got. I always tell people it was like the movies, you know, when you watch when you watch the movies and it's a U.S. based school and you got the homecoming and the king and the queens and the school was different, the games were different. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was it was cool to play there. Have you had a chance to be back to see it since the Reno's done? I have. I've been back a couple of times. I'm uh, still very close with my billet uh, that I was with for three years. So I try to go back once a year to visit her. And uh, I was actually training a couple of guys that played on Erie the last couple of years. So, yeah, I've been there. It's their locker room and their setup and everything is is pretty spectacular. And I think, you know, a lot of the players have that privilege now to be spoiled. Um, that wasn't really the case when we were playing, but um, you almost wish you almost wish they could see the old arena and play a year in that and then upgrade to what they have now to show that appreciation. But they did a spe- spectacular job there. It's it's a complete 180 from when I was there. That's a great perspective on the the privilege that you have that you wouldn't really know if that's the For only sure. arena you knew, right? And you, exactly. you nailed it. What a difference. They did a great job with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. big time. It, uh, it was well worth it. Long time coming. <laughs> For sure. What was travel like for you as an Erie Otter? Excruciating. <laughs> you know what? And I, I have a lot of friends that I played with um, that were on, you know, the Guelphs and the Oshawas and the Kitcheners. And they're like, yeah, it's 30 minutes here. It's 60 minutes there. I'm like, we're three hours to Niagara if we don't get caught at the border. You know what I mean? Like we had some nights where we'd cross the border at 4 a.m. and get called inside and they'd rummage through our bus until sun came up. So there was always the ongoing debate. This was in junior and pro, wherever you played, whether you sleep on the bus or whether you play cards and try to grind it out until you get home. So we would, you know, you get half the bus who would try to sleep. Then you wake up groggy at four in the morning and unpack your gear. But we had, you know, long road trips to say the Sioux in the middle of wintertime. So your aisles on the bus are soaked with snow and slush and guys got to sleep. So they bring two blankets, one that lays down the middle of the aisle of the bus that you lay on top of and one that you put over you, but you were always stepping over guys. And it was, a, it was a debacle. You, you, you really had to perfect the, uh, the travel. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, you talk about when, usually when we think about the game, it's, you know, what's the work like on the power play and this and that, but this is a whole other aspect of perfecting the life of a hockey player in junior hockey that we don't talk about a whole lot. Big time. And you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that go into being a pro hockey player. Everyone thinks it's very glamorous. You know, you get attention and interviews and TV and fame and, and don't get me wrong. I'm very grateful for all the opportunities I was given and the attention and very appreciative of everybody I've met along the way. But you know, we talked when we opened the show of how emotional it was to leave home at 15. And, you know, that's, that's right. And that's, that's high school, right? So think about leaving grade 10 in high school, all your friends, everybody you've grown up with and going to this place where you don't know a single person, right? And you've got to basically build a new life. Um, it's the same thing when you turn pro and when you move here and there and travel, it's, it's a very stressful game. Um, I remember, I don't know what it's like now, but when I played in the OHL, Robbie Petork's thing was if you walk into the change room, everybody comes ready to play. And if you walk into the change room on game day and your jersey wasn't hanging up, you weren't playing. So that's how you found out if you were a healthy scratch. So, you know, we would make a seven hour bus ride to Owen Sound 
uh, that my parents would come to and I would get off the bus and get a tap on the shoulder saying, hey, you're not going tonight. Well, I just drove seven hours to Owen Sound. My family's on their way. I got to call them to turn around. I'm not playing tonight. Then I got to jump seven hours back, right? So there's a lot of things that go into the sport that I don't think I don't think everybody takes into consideration. Um, you know, you have every right. We sign up to be professional athletes. Fans have every right to be hard on players and to be disappointed on their, you know, failures and be there with their successes. But I think people need to realize that, you know, they are still kids. They're still children and we are still people outside of the game of hockey. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, there, there, there's a lot that goes into to playing the sport other than just lacing up the skates for sure. I think that's such another interesting point of perspective from a guy who lived it. You talked about grinding out those trips before and how some of the long ones sleeping on the bus, whatever, but that's gotta be a mental grind 14 hours there and back, not including game time, but, and you didn't get to play and your family didn't get to see you play. I mean, that's got to wear on you at least a little bit. Oh, more than a little bit, more than a little bit. It's, um, you have, you know, in that instance, the Owen Sound instance, that's 20 hours, including game time, that you have to dwell on the fact that how am I going to get back in the lineup? Am I going to get back in the lineup? Where am I going to go in the lineup? You know what I mean? There's your mind is constantly running. I don't care how old you are, how talented you are, but um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster that I think the outside looking in doesn't necessarily see because, again, we're not coming out of the arena with tears in our eyes pouting we understand that this is part of the gig but on the inside a lot of guys are very emotional um again from what i've seen right i've been around a lot of guys and a lot of guys are vocal about it behind closed doors but we're not always telling you know the media and the people who are who are watching us how difficult it is but like i said i don't want to come off the wrong way i'm very grateful for everything that i've been given in my life and it's got me to where i am today but there's a lot of a lot of stuff that goes on behind closed doors that is uh far beyond what the game of hockey has to offer. So as difficult as something like that can be, how difficult was it for you in your second season where you spend basically the entire season injured? Yeah. Hard to, hard to put into words how emotional it was. Um, you know, it was a, it was a preseason fight, very normal um you know guy asked me to fight drop the gloves bad result dislocated my shoulder started rehab um started feeling good had an mri waiting for the results and i'll never forget being called up to robbie's office um with the trainer and sitting down and robbie kind of said so we got the mri back and he looked at the trainer and he goes six 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 to eight and he said yes and i thought six to eight weeks okay like that sucks but it's okay and he ended up saying six to eight months um, and I remember sitting in Robbie's office for probably an hour by myself. This is before practice in tears, trying to gather myself before I had to kind of confront my teammates and be seen. Um, yeah, I mean, when you're going into your NHL draft year after your, you know, your year previous to that, not playing, being a rookie, 16 year old, it was, uh, it was tough. It was tough to come back to my hometown and show my face and have to answer the question every single day of, why are you home? You know, what's going on? And then going to school every day and people always asking, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? And it's just, it's always in your mind. It's like something that never really lets go until it's, until you're, you're healed and you're ready to go back. So it's, it was a, it was a tough time for sure. So you're 
obviously back home in Alliston then. And do you coordinate with the team on your recovery and rehabilitation? Yeah, I had a good friend of mine um, who was a physiotherapist back home. So we coordinated kind of days of the week, how we were going to work it out, what they wanted to see, expectations, progress, stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, with an injury like that, it's there's a timeline, you know, and you, you got to get cleared by a doctor at the end of the day. Um, yeah, it was the first time I ever really had an injury. And it was uh, obviously a big injury, but um it, listen, it is what it is. It happened. I had good support along the way. And uh, yeah, here I am today with a, with a perfectly healthy shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> you said something a minute ago when talking about that injury, a preseason fight, a guy asked you to go. That caught my attention. Is that how it usually went for you in the game at that time? Guys would, a little nod, a little question that precipitated the fight. Yeah, it makes me smile. I miss I miss this part of the game. You know, I miss like the respect between guys who are willing to fight and you, there's so many different ways guys have asked me to fight. You know, like I remember fighting the American League one day and a guy grabbed me and said, hey, I need one tonight. I'm on the bubble, you know? So this is a guy trying to compete for his spot on the team, um, looking for a fight to try to stay up in the lineup. You know what I mean? There's guys who tap you on the pads and say, hey, listen, we don't, we need a fight. He's not fighting for himself. He's fighting for the team. We need a fight. It's the older you get, the more fights you've had, the longer you've been in a league, you you know that that guy will always owe you one, right? If you're up two nothing in the game and a guy asks you to fight, I don't need to fight. We're up two nothing. I don't need to change the mo the momentum. But if we see you guys in playoffs and we're down two nothing, he's probably going to remember I did that for him, and that's a much bigger time. And it's nice to know that someone owes you a favor. Um, so there's like that that little respect, but yeah, in terms of asking, it was, it was so different every time. And sometimes it was just as simple as lining up beside a guy. And we both knew it was coming, you know, where you just kind of look at each other and say, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's, uh, it's fascinating. I always look at stuff like that. When there's a fight on the NHL, it's like, I'm going to rewind and kind of see how the interaction started. That's just like kind of stuff that intrigues me because I know it's, it's exciting. I remember getting that rush when a guy would ask you to fight where you almost, you almost black out in a sense, you know, it's whether you want to or not, it's like the instant yes comes out of your mouth. And next thing you know, it's, it's game on. So it's a, uh, it's, it's a good question. I, I, I miss that kind of stuff. You did manage that six to eight months was pretty much uh, on target. Cause you did manage to get into action before the end of that sophomore season. Uh, but I have a feeling that March the 4th, 2012 is forever ingrained in your memory. It certainly is. Yeah, it was not the uh, not the comeback I was expecting. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I'll give you the I'll give you the Coles notes of kind of how it broke down. So we played a game on uh, Saturday night. Uh, one of our goalies got injured. So typically when you're injured, um you don't travel with the team. So I had gotten a phone call from, uh, from the GM the night before. And uh, he said, Hey, you're going to come to the rink. You're going to travel tomorrow. I said, how come? He said, just show up, pack your, pack your stuff. So I showed up, started packing my stuff. He comes into the room, Robbie Fittorik. He says, what are you doing? I said, I don't know, packing my stuff. He says, no, 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 pack Willie's stuff. And Willie at the time was our backup goalie. So we drive the whole way to Niagara. I have no idea what's going on. 
until I get off the bus and Robbie Fatork says, you know what's going on tonight? I'm like, no, I, you guys, nobody's telling me anything. He says, well, you're down as a backup goalie. Um, nothing's going to happen. You're not going to dress. You're not going to play, but we need to put you down. I said, all right. I was in the room getting treatment done on my shoulder and I got a phone call from Sherry Basson and I'll never forget. For those of you who know Sherry Basson, you kind of know the way he talks. So I get this call from Bass. He goes, hey, where are you? And I said, I'm in the locker room. He says, start getting ready. And I'm like, getting ready? What are you talking about? Next thing you know, Ramis Adikov's coming in with the coaches on both sides of his arms. He had getting run. I'm like, Sid, Sid Orkwitz. I'm like, what's going on? He says, start getting your stuff on. Um, so anyways, Willie's stuff, backup goalie stuff was way too small. I ended up taking Rammer stuff off of him, which was disgusting. It was sweaty and... I put it on and yeah, the rest is history. I think I played what 50, 58 minutes in net in an OHL game. That is a very good Sherry Basson impression, by the way. That's very good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, there was a lot of uh, a lot of Sherry Basson impressions that went on in the locker room in the bus. So I had uh, my fair share of practice. I'm not surprised by that. Uh, so what's it like? I mean, you you get over the you know holding back, I guess, maybe throwing up in your mouth a little bit, putting on Rammer's equipment, yeah. but skating onto the ice. It's none of this is your gear. And by the way, uh, you're a forward, not a goaltender. Correct. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I, I didn't really clue in kind of what was going on. I thought it was more, it was kind of a joke at the beginning, if I'm being honest with you, like it just seemed, it seemed very comical. I wasn't really taking it serious. The guys who were helping me getting ready, we were joking around. Um, and then you kind of notice the videos that are out there when I get on, I'm kind of falling everywhere. Well, I've never worn goalie skates before, you know, I've never put them on my feet. So I was getting adjusted when I stepped onto the ice. Um, it was, yeah, like I said, it felt, it felt comical until that first shot. And then your competitive nature kind of takes over. Um, and then it was, you know, kind of in the back of my head I'm like I'm just I, I was always a road hockey goalie all of a sudden I, I'm just thinking I'm a road hockey goalie taking one-timers from Dougie Hamilton in the slot you know so um yeah something that I'll never forget um it was uh it's something that again people still bring up today looking at that game from afar I was just personally as an observer a little bit bothered. You mentioned Dougie Hamilton, Strom, and these guys were on the ice late. It looked to me like they might have been taking advantage of an opportunity to pad some stats. Do you bear any ill will at all? No, because I, I everyone would have done the same thing. You got a guy <laughs> in that. I mean, you're it's you know you got to get your point somehow, right? And they're I, I never agree with something I've always never agreed with, even in minor hockey when when teams get upset for for putting on their first power play unit in a six, nothing game or, you know, playoff hockey, there's been a couple blowouts and, you know, coaches are mad that the first units out there, well, these guys are taking advantage to practice. Right. And if you're going to go into the game and you have your first power play unit, it's mixed in with different guys. Well, you're just throwing things off. Guess what's going to happen the next game. You're not going to know what the heck's going on. Right. So I'm just a big believer in practicing good habits. You're never going to simulate that power play in practice like you will in a game. I don't care how well your penalty killers are. Um, so no, no ill will. Everybody would have done the same thing. I would have done the same thing. I would have been shooting from the other end, banking off the boards. Off the, I don't even care. Um, so no, I, I think everybody would have been in the same boat. But um, 
again, it's, it's a time you build good habits, right? I'm not sure uh, it will ever be matched. A goaltender, even if he was just dressed as an emergency, giving up 13 goals and getting first star honors of the game. Yeah, 13 goals. But what, what everybody leaves out of that, Mike, is that I'm pretty sure after the second period, it was 4-2. <laughs> so I remember being in a locker room saying, guys, we got an opportunity here. Like, this would be insane. And then, yeah, we come out. It was just like, goal, 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 goal. So I can just imagine what went on in their change room. But, um, yeah, I mean, when the game ended, it was kind of like whistle went, look up, the whole team, Niagara, coming over to kind of shake hands and and show their, you know, appreciation for for what had happened. But Again, I any I don't know. It's a hard it's a hard situation to explain because it's some people say, "Oh, you were kind of thrown under the bus," or "Oh, you're such a great team player for wanting to do this." And I, it's just it's your natural ability as a competitor to to say, "Yes, I'll come in, I'll jump in." And I'm sure there would have been anybody who would have agreed to do it, but um, yeah, the fans in Niagara, the team, the organization, uh, all the support I got afterwards, it was uh, it made a, it made a special night. Um, something that I'll never forget. The support afterwards. So I mentioned to you just before we started recording, there was just one part that I was a little bit disappointed with. And and it's this. So you'll remember, of course, and I wanted to hold this up for you. And so our YouTube viewers could see it and I'll be damned. I swear to God, Connor, I just saw it the other day. The Connor Crisp number one t-shirt that they sold in Erie. We happened to be there for the next right. game, when those were on sale, you signed it for me. I swear I still have it. I couldn't find it so I could hold it up for you tonight. But that's a pretty neat outcome. Outcome yeah, it from was, all of this, right? Yeah, it was cool. I, I remember I signed so many of those things. I was, uh, again, I was a young kid, right? And this was kind of like intro to fame. Like the next day I was up with a dress shirt on in my underwear at 5 a.m. with the global news. You know what I mean? Interviewing with cbc and gino red on tsn and i'm on that's hockey and it was it was insanity and yeah i don't know i i had a ton of those shirts i don't know where the heck they are now but i know they're around somewhere it's the same kind of thing but uh yeah something something cool and something that um i think the organization benefited off of it was it was all spun in a very positive way for something that was kind of unforeseen do you, do you find yourself ever just checking out that YouTube video just for chuckles these days? Yeah, sometimes yeah. I go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, sometimes <laughs> I go down a little rabbit hole where I see it kind of pop up and I'm like, yeah, check that out. Then I'll look at this goal and that fight and this and that. So yeah, it's every once in a while, it's nice to, uh, nice to reminisce. That was obviously uh, a tough season for you battling back from the injury, the bizarre nature of the story, but had some silver linings to it with playing goal. Uh, only 10 wins for the club and missed the playoffs that year. But, oh, some guy. Well, we, named... we only missed the we missed, missed the playoffs with 10 wins. You don't say. <laughs> Just, it was close. It was close. <laughs> uh, that led to the next year, though, another kid named Connor uh, showing up in Erie. What kind of a presence was Mick David even then? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I thought I was famous after playing playing goal one night this guy came in it was a it was a whole new level and and I tell people this all the time I, I've come a lot across a lot of arrogant hockey players guys who you know aren't as appreciative um, of what they've been you know blessed with talent wise but um, Connor came in and was was humble from day one you know and he was always first guy on the ice last guy off he always pushed the pace in practice 
he was a leader at 15 years old in the OHL, you know, like 20 year old guys were looking up to this kid. And um, I think it just kind of goes to show the level he plays at now um, that it's something that's obviously still in his game. You know what I mean? He, uh, he raises the level and in practice and in games. And I always tell people, you know, you see what he does in games. You should see what this guy does in practice, right? The stuff that he's experimenting with and trying um, in practice that he's hoping to obviously bring to a game one time, but yeah, his, his work ethic, his humility, his, the way he handles situations, um, treats people. He's uh, one of the, one of the better guys I've, I've come across in my life for sure. How about that season he just had with the Oilers too? <laughs> yeah, again, I mean, like, come just on. comical. I know. I, <laughs> Again, those late games, I'm not staying up to watch it, but I found myself every morning, first thing I do is NHL scores, Edmonton, and just, you just smile every day. You know, it's, people never thought points like that would ever happen in this, in this generation of hockey. And he's just kind of, it's going against the grain and it's, it's awesome to see. So you were a, a second rounder into the O and then a third rounder into the show with, of all teams, the Montreal Canadiens. What was that like for you to be drafted into the NHL by the most fabled team in the league? Yeah, it was um, a whirlwind. I mean, I there's never certainties of being drafted. Um, you know, I didn't know if I was going to be drafted. I didn't go to the draft. Uh, I actually had my agent call me. I was at a friend's family reunion barbecue, and I wasn't expecting to go on the Saturday. And my agent called me saying, congratulations. And I'm like, congratulations on what? What are you talking about? And he says, you know, turn on the TV. You've just been drafted. So I flip on the TV and sure enough, I see my name there on the draft board. And it was like, get in the vehicle, get home as quick as you can. I walked in the door. My parents are in tears. My grandparents are in tears. It was, uh, yeah, I, um, a lot of good moments in my life, but to, to walk in and see my parents, you know, so proud um, was something that, a look I'll never forget, that's for sure. It was very special. That's amazing. And, you know, <laughs> it's so cool to hear because isn't that, I'm going to say, every kid's dream that's ever picked up a hockey stick, right? Like when I was playing yeah, yeah. all hockey in the driveway when I'm a kid, like I'm playing for the Stanley Cup every Saturday morning. Exactly. It is. Yeah. It's uh, that, you know, you never think is actually going to come to fruition, right? right. You always right. hope and dream and and work hard. And, you know, I I, I do wish that, everybody could kind of have that feeling once in their life because it's something that's indescribable. Um, it's something that everybody should be able to experience. Not again, not specifically hockey, but something that you've worked your entire life for to kind of see it be rewarded. Um, Cause again, what we've talked about, you know, in, in, in this, this podcast as far as there's a lot of work that goes into being a professional hockey player. Right. And that's just kind of, one of those steps along the way that shows you, you know, hey, listen, what you've done has been recognized. We appreciate it. Let's continue to build. Um, but for now, you know, let's celebrate and, and let's see what we can make of this. And um, yeah, it was, it was it was pretty special. And you get the chance to do that when you sign the contract and you enter the American League with Hamilton. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But I think there's one more interesting thing doesn't happen to everybody in the Ontario Hockey League, an experience that maybe you can speak to. And that is, of course, being traded. At least it was in the off season, maybe if I can. I don't know. I've never been traded, but yeah. from Erie to Sudbury, a little closer to home, I suppose. But what was it like to be traded? Yeah, it was. Um, I knew it was coming. Um, it was something that we had discussed, uh, my agent and, and Sherry, uh, over the summer months. 
Uh, it was something that I was open to and I was willing. Again, the seasons that we had had in the past were very emotional. It was a roller coaster. I had the injury. We had, you know, bad teams. We weren't successful. Um, so I, I, it was just time uh, to move on. And Sudbury was the the best year of my life. I say that to people all the time on the ice, off the ice. The organization was amazing. And again, this was kind of my first year that I was a big contributor. You know, I was, uh, I had just been drafted. I was relied upon on power play, penalty kill, first line, all sorts of things. So it was the first time in my OHL career, career, I really felt, I guess, kind of a part of team in a, in a, in a sense of contributing on the scoreboard, um, which was, which, which was special to me, you know? So we had built a great team. Obviously the end goal wasn't achieved, but, um, you know, management, ownership, coaches, staff, even the guys we had, uh, we had on that team. It was, uh, it was special. Again, it was, it was a transition to be traded, new billet family, new teammates. I remember walking into the room, finding my stall and then kind of taking a, a wander around, checking things out. And I came back and Nathan Pansell was sitting in what I thought was my, my stall. And I look up and I was confused and he looked at me and goes, did you just get lost in our change room? <laughs> I don't know where I am right now. It's the smallest change room you ever see in your life. Um, so the guy's got a kick out of that. But again, I've never been there before. You know what I mean? It was my first time being there. We were in the Western Conference. I'd never been to the Eastern Conference once, you know, maybe once I went to Sudbury. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a good experience. Again, one of those things that not everybody gets to experience, but I was happy that I was, I was in a situation to be able to do that. As a player who plays for Sudbury, how do you, how did you guys view the wolf? I always find it to be a really fascinating piece of OHL folklore. Yeah, so I didn't know the wolf was a thing until probably Christmas time, if I'm being completely honest. Like I didn't know when we scored goals that come across the the arena. I never noticed that the first time I realized it was a thing was when we were playing a joke on a one of the teammates where we put his hockey equipment on the wolf. So as a kid in school, we go up, helmet, skates, tie everything <laughs> on, and then we'd send it to center ice. And he would come in after school being like, where's my gear? And we'd walk outside. So that was the first time I was ever introduced to the wolf. Um, but it, yeah, I, I just, I think it's funny that so many people know it's there. It's part of the tradition. It's part of the history. Um, just a, a goofy little thing they do up North. It is. And I think it's, it's pretty charming to be honest with you at this point. Agreed. Totally yeah. agree. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Sudbury, you know, when you want to talk about a, a pretty passionate market, uh, they do all right up there, especially when you've got a decent team. They do. It's And again, I think that comes with a lot of different organizations. When you're successful, you get support. Um, and I think that really, really drove us the year I was there in Sudbury was like, hey, listen, you know, let's try to build a team in an atmosphere where people are going to enjoy watching us come out because we're succeeding. You know, and I think it makes it thinks it makes it a lot more fun for the fans when they're, you know, they're cheering four or five times a night opposed to watching the other team score. and. Um, yeah, it's like this little community where everywhere you go, everybody knows you and you're like uh, you're famous in the small town. So I got off, got off a few speeding tickets, heading to the rink a couple of times because of uh, because of the fame in the small town. So certainly things I was grateful for when I was there. I mentioned the Hamilton Bulldogs a moment ago. Obviously, you sign with the Habs, you get the chance to play pro. What was the what was a step like? What was the difference in going from the OHL to the American League? Yeah, 
I touched on it earlier. I thought that when I was, you know, 16 going to the OHL with all these 20 year old men, well, when I was 19 going playing with 35 year old men, it was like, uh, you know, this is the big times, right? And you just kind of see the way the game evolves again, not only on the ice, but the way that guys take care of their bodies, right? Like in, in junior, you're showing up 30 minutes before you're going on the ice, no warm up, no cool down. These guys are there two hours before they're warming up, they're working out, they're treating their bodies, they're going on the ice and then they're doing the same thing after. Right. So those are all things that, you know, I was starting from square one. I was a rookie again. I was in a different town with a different team and different people, different organization, and trying to reestablish myself and once again build a name in a different different league and organization. So, yeah, to to watch these guys um, not only play the game but the way they treated their bodies was something that was very eye opening for me. And and again, took a while to be accustomed to. It's not that easy just to flip a switch and spend five hours a day on body maintenance and becoming a pro. You know, you hear that saying a lot: "Become a pro." He's a pro. Well, that's what they mean when you hear that. What was, what was camp like with, like when you're going into Montreal, it's gotta be terrifying, really. Yeah. You know what? It's funny because I was more terrified in the OHL than I was in the NHL. Um, At that time I was, I was in the best shape ever. And I know guys say that every year that you go into camp, you hear the same thing. I'm in the best shape. I'm in the best. Well, what'd you do last year that you're in the best shape? You know what I mean? What are you doing? But I was, I was just so dedicated to my craft um, and I felt so confident in my abilities. And I also had nothing to lose. I knew I wasn't making the team as an 18 year old, you know? So I, I went in there and uh, had a great camp. I, I was far exceeded my expectations for what I could accomplish in that camp. Um, I got great feedback on my exit meetings. I just, again, I put my head down. I played my game. I was simple. Um, and it got recognized, and I I had a lot of confidence coming out of that camp for sure. So another really important part of your story is the reason that you had to hang them up at 24. But let's start there. When you're a 24-year-old guy, and you just talked about, I mean, the promise that you felt you had, and I think statistically, and anybody that watched you play recognized that that promise was absolutely there. How tough was it as a 24-year-old to say, yeah i mean it still makes it still brings emotions um now for sure to to think about it i think I made some immature decisions as a kid um, after that injury um, with my concussion and maybe coming back and not being completely honest and upfront with training staff and medical staff because my competitive nature took over. But um, yeah, ultimately I made the decision. I think the toughest part, I think for me, I made it um, over time. It wasn't sudden. I kind of went out on my own terms. you know, I was in a bad place when I made the decision with the concussion and kind of the symptoms I was going through. But I think the hardest part of it was was telling my parents that, uh, you know, that all their hard work for the past 20 years in hockey and all the travel and the hours and the money and the dedication, you know, it's it's more their career than it is mine. Um, the amount of hours they put in 
Um, so that was, that was tough for me to drive home on a day off and have that conversation. I remember it took me a while to get out of, get it out. Um, but like any parent, you know, they were super supportive and I think they were at the end of the day, grateful. Cause I, I think they'd seen that I was maybe struggling a little bit with, with, you know, what had been going on. Um, so yeah, not, not easy. It's still, still very, you know, it's, it's been a long time. It's six, you know, six years ago now. Um, but I think about it. I think about it every day. I think about it every day. Every time I see hockey, see hockey players, watch a game, you know, where could I be right now? Where could my career be? What would I be doing? So it's, uh, like I said, I'm happy where I am now, but it was a bittersweet time in my life. Do you remember, Connor, the moment that you did first suffer the concussion that maybe you immaturely ignored in the early going? Um, yeah, I mean, it was a it was a fight in Lehigh Valley um, in October, a few days before Halloween. Um, it was against Derek Mathers. And uh, yeah, I took a punch to the face. I went down. I bounced up. I, again, it's tough to say, right? You get punched in the face, you're going to have a headache, right? And I always said that I had a you know bloody lip, I was swollen. I'm like, oh, this will go away. The next day I woke up and I pretty much knew um, I had a concussion, but this was like my first opportunity in the American League. I was playing on the second line. I was getting an opportunity after going through that rookie year all over again. I was finally being rewarded. Um, and again, I selfishly made the decision to, to say I felt fine. Um and from that day, I have, you know, I haven't recovered. So that was six years ago. I have a headache every single day now. Um, I've done so many things to try to kind of get over that. But it was it was a silly mistake um, in my growth. But I think it made me better as a human being to kind of be more in tune with my body now and know what I need. And um, yeah, do I regret it? Maybe, you know, I try not to look back on it and say that I regret it because the things I just said, it's made me a better person. Um, do I wish I didn't have a headache every day and go through all the the struggles I did? Yeah, for sure. But um, I made the decision in a, in a time of vulnerability, I think. Um, and it, it backfired, you know, it, it caused me a lot of pain, a lot of suffering and ultimately my, my career, my family's career. And um, yeah, I missed the game. I miss the game every day, but it, it is what it is. It's part of the game. And uh, what are you going to do? So is that to say that that you wonder the big if for you is if you had taken that initial injury seriously and taken the time, if you had the time, because I totally get where you're coming from, but if you had taken the time to heal, you might still be out there playing hockey. Yeah. And again, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's so hard to tell. Right. And that's the tough part about concussions. I'm not walking into the arena with a cast on being told it's, you know, six to eight weeks, six to eight months. It's something that it's so tough to struggle mentally with because it's always on your mind. You know, I remember for, for four years, I woke up every single morning and said to myself, you know, do I have a headache today? And the days I didn't wake up with a headache, I would almost manifest one because it would be so abnormal for me to not have one. Um, so yeah, do I look back and, and think like that? No, um, I try not to. Obviously, you know, the natural human is going to do that from from time to time. But uh, I don't know. Do I do I think if I didn't play that next night, I would have felt better? Maybe. You know, it's it's a brain injury. It's tough to say. 
we talked at some length earlier and, and even, even at different parts of this podcast about the fighting, the physical aspect of the game, how you enjoyed the fighting. Do you, do you kind of see the, the paradox there that you're still a guy that enjoys that part of the game, but it was the part that ended your career prematurely? Listen, I, I had a lot of concussions in my career. That was the only one I ever had from a fight. Um, and the other ones I had were fluke incidents. You know, I had a couple in junior where I cut across the ice and lose an edge and somebody would, you know, I get a skate in the face or I go into the corner, lose an edge, go head first. And like, there's so many different things that can happen. So no, it, it was a decision I made at the time. Um, this wasn't something where it was maliciously done. I wasn't jumped. It wasn't, you know, something like that. It was, I agreed upon it. I knew my role. And again, I love to fight. I was excited for the challenge. You know, it was something that was premeditated and warm up, um, you know, that we had chatted and warm up, decided we were going to do it in the first period. And, you know, he just, he, he got a shot in that, you know, again, I've talked to, to Derek in the past and after, after the, the, uh, the fight and it was never his intention, you know, to end my career. We're both warriors going into the ring and, and dropping the gloves like men and, it's uh yeah, it was just a freak accident that happened. And um yeah, I don't regret it. I like I said earlier in the podcast, I love fighting. I miss it. I I still, you know, I still love it when it pops up on TV and junior and you know, all the little things we talked about in the in the last hour. So it's uh it is what it is, Mike, and it happened and uh I, I try not to regret it because it was it was a decision that I made at the time. We talk more and more about head injuries in the game today, obviously how to protect the head better in hockey and other sports. Uh, but it, it takes a little bit as, as the athlete, as that warrior you just talked about to, to be the guy that will so openly speak about it. What was it like for you when you came out and were honest about what you went through? Yeah, honestly, it was, you know, I don't know how many people have seen the CBC documentary. It was, it was very well done. That was kind of the first time publicly on a huge stage that I had done it, but it was very, um, very gratifying. It was very, as emotional as I was, it was very easy to do. Um, I just knew that, you know, I was just in a, in a bad place for a couple of years. Um, being in St. John's Newfoundland when the injury had originally occurred, not playing for an entire season, our team would leave three weeks at a time for road trips. And I would be stuck in Newfoundland by myself with five feet of snow, six feet of snow, didn't know a single person. It was very depressing, right? So trying to recover from a concussion like that, it's not the way to go about it. And I tell people that all the time, you know, you need to be somewhere where it's positive mentality because I would sit in a dark room for three weeks at a time and think about my headache, right? So for me to come out and try to pump this information and my experience and other people, and again, not only people in my situation, but people in the medical field who know about concussions, but have never had one. Right. And that was a very frustrating part of recovery was dealing with doctors telling me what to do when they've never experienced the injury I've, I was going through. Um, so I think it's I think it's very beneficial for not only athletes, but people who have you know had unfortunate events in their life, whether car accidents or whatever it may be to come out and speak about their experience, not only with head injuries, with back injuries, leg injuries, broken bones. How do you recover? How do you keep mentally strong during that recovery time because at that time I didn't have anybody to lean on right I could talk to my parents and my girlfriend and 
you know, my buddies, but what are they going to say? Ah, it's all good, man. It's all good. We love you. You're going to be fine. In my head, it's like, you know what? It's been six months. I'm not going to be fine. You know, when is this going to change? No doctors have an answer for me. You guys have to say that stuff. You know, you're my family. That's your job to comfort me. I don't want to be comforted, right? I want to, I want a diagnosis. I want to find a way to, to conquer whatever the heck is going on here. And I think that, uh, as intelligent as, you know, doctors are, I think there's only so much they can do and there's only so much they can say. Um, but people who have actually been through injuries and have suffered through unfortunate injuries like I had, I think it's important for people to come out and, and speak about it. For me, it was, it was easy. It was emotional because you almost have to relive it. But I think it was pretty easy for me knowing that I was, I was potentially helping one person, you know, and that's, uh, that's a good feeling kind of random but how did your mom feel about the way you played the game i never knew how my mom felt until the cbc documentary was uh was done so she was again i wasn't going to the games calling my parents saying yeah i'm fighting this guy tonight i can't wait you know what i mean like it wasn't like that um she would never really bring it up it was always hey good game you played well played hard we love you my parents were always supportive. They knew my role in the game had changed from when I was 14 to when I was 20. Um, and that's something that they realized. And they seen it, you know, it, it got me drafted to the NHL. So it's something that worked. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I never, I've never had that conversation with my mom or my dad for that matter. You know what I mean? I think it was just something that they, they trusted in me to, to do smartly and prepare myself for. And um I think they know too. I would never do something that I didn't want to do. Right. And I think that they, they raised me well enough to know that if a coach was pushing me to, to fight and do something I didn't want to do that I would stand up for myself and, and make a, make a statement. But it was, again, like we've talked about, it was something I enjoyed of something that I think I was, I was decent at. Um, so yeah, I, I apologize to my mother for putting her through the stresses of, uh, of the occasional fight. <laughs> I apologize to my father for not having a real job to this day. So we're good. <laughs> you, you mentioned earlier some of the guys that uh, you've trained, and I, I know you're still through your hockey school involved in the game. Why is that important to you? It's, it's a way for me to kind of live through my players. It's a way for me to stay involved in the game. Um, you know, part of me thinks that when I have these guys who are in minor hockey or in junior or in pro, you know, we can still we can still build that camaraderie in a locker room or on the ice and in ways that I can't, you know, in ways that I miss. You know, people always ask me, do I miss the game of hockey? I kind of, you know, I miss the practices. I miss the road trips. I miss the hotels. I miss the team dinners. Um, and those are things that I try to you know, I try to get from working with these players. You know what I mean? Let's go on the ice. Let's open a water bottle, pull a prank, do this, do that. It still makes me feel part of a team. Um, and I think that being at a young age and still believing in my abilities and knowing that if it wasn't for injury, I think I could have been really successful. I don't want that to go to waste, you know, and bring it back to kind of all the time and effort, not only I put in, but my family put in. I think I would just be I would be letting my talent go to waste if it wasn't something that I was kind of trying to to offer up to those players that have the same goal I did as a as a 10-year-old kid. 
I mean, I'm just over here listening, Connor, but do you think, do you have a, do you have a, a five-year or 10-year plan? Can you see this maybe being a way that you stay in the game and, and that level of involvement continues to increase? I'm thinking, of course, about maybe getting into coaching and moving up ranks that way. I would, uh, I would love to coach. Um, yeah, that would be something I'd be very interested in, but you know, the point of my life I'm in now with, you know, with a, a one and a half year old daughter and another daughter on the way this summer, family is very important to me. And I think that I've spent enough time away from my family in the past 15 years playing hockey and traveling and stuff like that, that, uh, that, that time in my life has come and gone, you know, that's not to say in, in 20 years when my girls are gone to college and they're out of the house, it's something I could, I could do if I was still involved in the game. But for the time being, would I love to do it? 100%. I coach spring teams here in the, in the summer times locally, and I put together teams and I, I love it. It's a passion of mine, but you know, I, I have a lot of respect for the coaches and the staff who do what they do now, because it's not, it's not like what it was when I played, you know, these guys are cutting film, they're watching games multiple times, they're scouting, they're traveling, they're, again, it's not as glorious as people make it out to be. I see what goes on behind closed doors, you know, when we're playing cards at the back of the bus and, and having a good time, these guys are at the front of the bus, cutting films, you know, worried about their livelihood, you know, they got to win hockey games, they're, this is how they provide for their family. And if you're not winning hockey games, that's a toll that, you know, it's a stress that I don't, I don't want back in my life. Cause I went through that for a very long time playing junior and playing pro. That's something I don't miss. Um, and I know that they experience the same things. All those years away from the family, sacrificing to pursue that dream, kind of finally settling back in. And now some jerk from your past is, hey, how about Wednesday night at eight o'clock? You sit down with me for an hour. Like, <laughs> like no, just another interview. No, this is great, Mike. Honestly, it's, uh, I appreciate it because I miss this stuff, right? It's, uh, it makes me, again, it makes, it's nice to talk to, to somebody with a hockey mind like you that knows the game so well and is intelligent. And, you know, I can have a stop and chat with a guy at the grocery store who knows nothing about hockey. Well, that's not enjoyable for me. You know what I mean? It's, it's fun to... It's fun to talk to guys like you who've been around the game for a long time and uh, and have a respect level um, as high as you do. So I appreciate you reaching out. Um, it's been a lot of fun. It's it's nice to to look back on look back on my life in, in a positive way. Uh, obviously, with the injuries along the way, that comes with the territory. But it was uh, yeah, I, I don't regret anything. It's made me the man I am today, and I've come across so many great people that I'm still in touch with today. And you know, this is our first time connecting and you'll, you'll forever be a guy that I appreciate and, and respect. And now, you know, when I listen to the Kitchener Rangers games or down in that area, I know I got a guy in the, uh, in the odd I can relate to. Absolutely. And you can text anytime and we'll, well, you probably don't need help getting into a rink, but if you ever do, I <laughs> uh, can help you in that department. And listen, I've thoroughly enjoyed this and I know our listeners will too. And I'm going to find that damn t-shirt and I'm going to yeah, send yeah. like, we're going to, you're going to sign it for me a second time. Cause I swear it's still around somewhere. So yeah, man, you bet. I'll, uh, I'll have to make a trip down to the odd next year and we'll come down and check out a game. And uh, again, it's nice because everything's so close. I'm not in Erie anymore. That's so right. it's like just a hop, skip and a jump down the street. It's kind of, it's kind of nice. So um yeah, no, I appreciate you reaching out. It's 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 been a lot of fun, and uh, I know I I talked to a few people in the past week who had a lot of great things to say about you and your podcast and kind of what you bring to this the, the city of Kitchener. It's not so much a town anymore, but uh, yeah. so what you're doing is is good, and 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 know that I'm sure your life brings stresses too, and your job brings stresses, but uh, 
you know, you bring a lot of smiles to a lot of people's faces and there's a lot of people who are dedicated to, to hearing Mike on the radio and at the game. So uh, yeah, keep on doing your thing. I will for sure. And this is absolutely my stress relief, just talking hockey for a bit. So thank you again for making the time to do this. I really appreciate it. All right, Mike, you bet, man. We'll chat soon. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.